0: Welcome to a new episode of Content Rookie. Today's episode is actually really exciting and an episode I've been wanting to do for a long time. And it's with Lizzie Casmaran, who's a content accessibility consultant. So we're going to talk about all things accessibility, specifically when it comes to content design and how to just level up your experience in accessibility when you're doing any kind of writing and content design work. I have to unfortunately leave a warning here, as my daughter woke up halfway through the episode and um, was getting a little bit loud towards the end of it. I tried to edit out as much of the noise as possible, but there's still some baby crying and fussing in the background, Um, which of course doesn't make this episode super accessible. But unfortunately, it's very difficult to find time to reschedule. So I hope you can still enjoy the episode and get some of the great points that Lizzie is making throughout it. Thank you so much for listening to Content Rookie. See you again soon. Welcome to the podcast, Lizzie. So excited to have you. Please introduce yourself to the listeners. It's awesome to be here, thank you so much. Uh, yeah, my name
1: is Lizzie Casmaran. Um, I'm a freelance um, freelance person uh, based in Scotland. Um, I'm a content accessibility consultant, which is kind of a phrase that I kind of made up. Um, I kept slightly <laughs> changing my job title. Um, and uh, yeah, I work, um, I work with various uh, companies um, freelance uh, in Scotland, so mostly mostly UK
0: companies. All right, Cool. Yeah. And I mean, I, that's already kind of my first question. So a content accessibility consultant, how did you find that calling in life? Um, so, uh,
1: without kind of going through, I guess, my entire life history, um, I used to work for the University of Edinburgh as, um, as a content designer, as I say, I actually only got the job title of content designer fairly, you know, towards the end of being there, um, But I I was doing content design, and I think that's something that will resonate with a lot of people, (laughs) but it's, you know, it's a fairly new phrase still, but it's, it's what, you know, I spent 10 years looking at user needs, doing user research, working out what people needed and creating, you know, copy for websites and, 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 you know, IA for websites and everything based on those needs. So, you know, that's, that's content design. I, I. About uh, ten, no, nine years ago now, I um, suffered a, um, a disc herniation. Um, had some, had quite a lot of bad health for a while. Um, spent quite a lot of time off sick. Um, kind of coming back in and in and out of work for quite a long time. And they're a fantastic supportive employer. Um, but during COVID, they um, announced some redundancies, and I thought, you know, what, this is my time to actually stop and take a little bit of time out because I've been there for so long. So I got, I got redundancy payment. And from there I was able to sort of have the the huge privilege to be able to explore being freelance and how I wanted to do it. And I kind of started off as kind of a freelance content designer, uh, but more and more just the things that I was naturally drawn to blogging about and talking to people about were around accessibility um, and, and inclusivity as well. And it's, Go back and forth about you know which which term to use actually, but um, I think with digital accessibility, a lot of people go straight to um, the kind of developer side of things and screen reader compatibility and that kind of thing, which is super important. And I'm you know I never say that's not important, um, but it's it's not the whole story. Um, and I think the things that you can do around actual content design and accessibility. Um, is really important um it is arguably just really good content design um, but it 's you know designing for you know neurodivergent people whose whose attention span is not as good, so you know I have a d h d so um i've always thought that that's actually that 's probably why i 'm quite good at really um, nailing down uh content like that because I will look at something and go no no one 's going to read that no one 's going to read that um, I think I was quite surprised after a while to go, oh, some people do actually read. Involve long involved things, um, but if you design for the people that don't, then you're you're getting you your, your points across. Um, so um, it's also good, you know, for people who are second language speakers, um, and then getting into and this is this is kind of where it crosses over between accessibility and inclusivity. Um, getting into kind of the way that you're talking about people because you know your content can be fantastically compatible with a screen reader. And, you know, so if, say, say if you've got, you know, a, a blind uh, user who's coming along, they can read everything on your site, but the language that you're using is actually derogatory towards blind people. Mm. It's like, yeah, I mean, that passes the WCAG, sure, but it's not, it feels like it's not accessible content. If you're using kind of the wrong terms and you're using, um, yeah, you're using the language that you're using isn't, isn't kind to disabled people. Um, so, um, yeah, I kind of started working, and just the kinds of conversations that I've then had freelance, and, and the work that I'm doing is has ended up being sort of about accessibility. So I kind of, I still have a lot of imposter syndrome about the word consultant because to me, a consultant is like a white dude with a beard in a suit, and you know, <laughs> um, in his fifties, and, and like. I am a white person who does wear a suit, and I'm in my 40s, and I'm actually not that different from that. But, um, but it is, I think, I know, the word consultant seems to be, um, so I have a lot of silk imposter syndrome about that. But, I mean, that's, that is what I do. People ask, me, and I do accessibility reviews of sites. Um, I come up with, um, you know, recommendations uh, for clients. I um, look at um, policies and, and, and that kind of thing. Which is one of the things that I actually kind of enjoy the most. New yeah, baby, <laughs> um, and all of that with kind of the lens of accessibility and inclusivity, which is a hugely broad term. I think you know, it includes having a baby here on a pod- on a podcast. Like that's and that's an inclusivity issue. It's about including everyone in their lives the way that they are. Um, and not making people mask in various different ways, whether that's neurodivergent masking or whether that's people pretending that they don't have children exactly. or yeah. You
0: know, I I almost don't want to stop you. I could just, I think, listen to you talk about this without me interfering with a single question for half an hour. There's so much good stuff to unpack. Like, I love that you say freelancing is a privilege. I 100% agree. I love that you bring on, uh, bring up inclusivity on all of the levels and how at the same time it makes you weird to talk about it as a, you know, air quotes consultant, just because It seems so against what most people expect a consultant to say. They're usually hired for efficiency and all of that. And I've made the experience. I don't know how it is for you. And I'm curious to hear that um, when I bring up that I try to focus on inclusive design and accessible design as well as a content designer, um, I sometimes, I mean, sometimes it's maybe even an under exaggeration, I often still get people to almost roll their eyes and they're like, oh, okay, yeah, no, what does this mean? Is she woke? <laughs> inclusive language, this and that. Um, and they fear that it will, you know, be less efficient and just take up a bunch of resources. And I personally think that it's the opposite, <laughs> that a really good accessible inclusive design is more efficient and just a better experience in the long run. So I wonder what are some of the things that you've maybe experienced now that you're in the field yeah. actively talking? Yeah.
1: It's tricky because I think mean, there's a couple of things and um, different things to pick up on that. And first of all, like yes, I am woke,
0: and I'm.
1: You um, find it very freeing to kind of not sort of try not not to be and sort of introduce that later and all the rest of it, but just to kind of say, right, this is, you know, if you, I'm I'm just not going to work with people who don't actually want this work. I'm not I'm not going to do the work of convincing you that the work is needed as well you know and I you know like all the you know black lives matter trans lives matter and if you're not just on board with that basic stuff then I'm like this is not the project for me you know um and again that is a privilege um you know being able to you know I have a wife who does have a full-time employed job and so that gives me a little bit more flexibility to be able to do that I have found like put a lot of kind of privileged positions that by by doing that and by taking that hard line, I've actually, it hasn't l- lost me any work in terms of, you know, I've, we still had more work than I've really been able to take on anyway. Um, I just have the, it's better quality, um, but it is a risk to sort of take that on. Um, so, yeah, first of all, I'm, I am unapologetic about it and I'm, you know, happy to I work with people who want it having said that sometimes people come in and they say oh yeah 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 we need to be accessible yeah yeah that's that's definitely yeah um what can we do and you you tell them kind of you know add some old text oh yeah yeah and then you know you start getting into the more complex things that need bigger changes and more work um and ultimately a lot of reports kind of end up with you need a systemic change in your organisation. You need to look at your HR policies. <laughs> like you need, because it all comes back to that. You know, if you're not, you need to be inclusive and you need to be accessible at all levels. Like the really common thing are oh, so common is that you get a website that is really accessible and that talks a great talk about inclusivity and you think, oh, what an amazing company. And then you see their intranet and it, it's a hot mess and it doesn't, you know, the staff, the accessibility from the, and the inclusivity per staff is just not prioritised. And you think, well, that company isn't, like, I get, obviously people, you know, people need to make money and so they have to have the customer-facing things right. working, yeah. but it has to work at all levels. And so, it. you know, it does so often come back and you go, people kind of go, oh, yeah, we'll change this this thing that is easy to change yeah. and that makes us look good and, and then we'll sort of we will maybe not get back to you about the other stuff for a while and
0: no, yeah. and i, I think um, that's such an so. important aspect that you're touching upon there because i've also made the experience that even companies that are willing to learn about accessibility and uh being inclusive they still don't understand how deep the efforts go like you know it starts with like you yeah said, is the team even there is there any diversity in hiring um, all the way to the stock imagery that is used. I am shocked. It is 2023. The amount of clients or companies that reach out to me that want like help with their content design or whatever, um, and then they go on the website and there is not a single non-white, slim, um, above averagely attractive person <laughs> anywhere in their online comms. It is shocking to me. Like things like that, where, yeah, like you say, it's just yeah. the bar is still unfortunately extremely it low. Is-
1: yeah, I feel like it could be like a whole specific job to look at images in terms of accessibility and inclusivity, and because it touches on all kinds of things. And you know, when you do have an image, the you know, alt text, and like right. when you describe things like race in alt text, and when it's when right. it's relevant. Um, and then from the image that you've got, and obviously if you've got like I do quite a lot of work with charities and things, and the, and, the, and it's like great, but if they are using stock images, yeah. and there needs to be more diverse stock images out there.
0: Right.
1: Um, and so, you know, if you start pulling on that thread as well, it, you know, yes, it comes down to company culture, but then actually it just comes down to society culture. that yeah. you, you need more, you need more stock images or, you know, what I have said to people is that maybe you don't need an image.
0: Right.
1: Like, and that's often the kind of easiest way to solve quite a lot of those problems. Um, but yeah, I mean, all it's middle class, white, um, very beautiful people in beautiful houses <laughs> you go but that's not exactly. that's not reflecting. i always love when, when um, i b-
0: bring this up with with a potential client or someone that i'm kind of chatting with i i usually get oh but like we want people you, you know to see the vision like this is what they aspire to look like this is what everybody wants so that's why we're putting it here and then sometimes they show me examples of you know how apple used to do this in the day or like some other big brand and um I've had a lot of these conversations, you know, trying to push back and explain why that's not really how it works and um the insights they may have are a yeah. little bit skewed to their uh favor here. But um yeah, some people seem extremely set on, on this I would say very old school madman era type of um marketing and Yeah,
1: that's that's yeah really. um Actually, not unsurprising, sadly, but um, just to pick up on the other part of um, your question about it taking, you know, resource and, you know, does it actually is it actually, you know, uh, more, uh, more efficient in the long term? Right. I think it's it's difficult because I I do agree, but I think it is you do need to look at the long term, hmm. and it does take effort, and I think sometimes, particularly with really large complex websites, I think working in accessibility it's really easy to go to kind of go well no you just need to do this and you just need to do that and I should have a whole blog about the word just um it's never it's never addressed. and it's actually you do need to go and you need to think about it and you need to probably redo your training materials and you need right. to do it, it probably is a big project I'd say two things first you can start somewhere you can you can always make it better than it is at the moment yeah um and it's a you know it's a journey not a a destination like not to be too cheesy but um yeah. but it you know it does take effort it does take resource but but it's important and and, and long term it's it will be it will be better you know it's kind of difficult to necessarily measure on that efficiency level in terms of direct return on investment but your company will be better for it and your company will be ahead Of you know you won't get to a point where you really 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 have to do it and then you really 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 have to find a lot of money to to put in um to do it you know do it now do it as an ongoing make it a budget line like yes it's a budget line but it has to be same as data protection has to be or anything you know you just have to, to do it so, just again but it's important and it's it's morally important um which is always my starting point but it's also it is important from the business point of view if you want to stay ahead yeah um of how to suddenly do a really big project right
0: um, and it,
1: it's, it's an interesting thing as a kind of side point about being a consultant actually that um sorry sorry And interrupting you.
0: No, I I was just about to say that Um, um, one thing that I like to do because, um, you know, now I'm not focused on accessibility. It's just something that I, of course, bring up as part of content design. But even with content design, I often get the pushback that people think it's too much work and it may not be worth it. And then, while, of course, it takes some patience and time and resources to set up a good content design foundation, I still usually try to pair that with fixing some more low hanging fruits. which yeah. sometimes helps with the buy-in. I'm curious if there's something like that you can also do for accessibility.
1: Um, I think there often is. I think and I think that's when, you know, when I do like a review of accessibility on a site, um, you know, there are often just, you know, you need to adjust, but, you know, you make the alt text better. Or you know, alt text is always one I go for, because it's, it's not complex. It's maybe a little bit time-consuming, but it's, you 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 add some alt text and yes you can have policies and yes you could you know it can can get complex but you can do you can, going from there is no alt text to there is some alt text is a massive leap and then you've got you know you've got the next iteration of that but so you will always have some um, some low hanging fruit and I think absolutely I think you know doing those kind of two things in tandem is is really useful um, it's interesting having having been someone working in like within a team in content design, and then having been a consultant, it's a it's an interesting psychological thing that when you when companies pay a consultant to come in and do like a report, they just listen to that more. And I, I've I've been in that position as the as the in house person going, we've been saying this for years, and suddenly like a consultant comes in and, and does a report, and they're like, oh, well we need to do this yeah <laughs> that's what we've been telling you and it's it's a really weird inequality thing but, um, but it's an interesting it's reflection also
0: on the power dynamics and like the yeah. politicality of organisations because Ophelia, I've also experienced this a lot in action and yeah I also have to be honest it's also one of the reasons why I've often enjoyed working as a freelancer as a consultant because you know you're brought in for a dedicated purpose and then they do tend to listen to you <laughs>
1: Yeah, I've had this conversation with other kind of freelancers when we're talking about day rates, and day rates is always a really tricky one. Um, But what I've said to people sometimes is, listen, part of that, sometimes when you charge a higher day rate, you're therefore also making it easy for yourself. Because when you charge a really low day rate, people think, oh, well, you're not that valuable. And they mess you around more and they do all this kind of thing. Whereas by charging a higher day rate, people go, oh, well. That must be it's the weird way that our society values things. Right. They go, well that therefore I'm paying more for that, therefore I'm gonna listen more.
0: Yeah. And it's I, like
1: I, it's a really it's a really bizarre
0: It is kind of but yeah, I think it is actually comparable to, you know, the whole premium marketing. Are you gonna market your brand as a premium brand or are you gonna market it based on price? I mean it it works, you know, like people <coughs> buy more I don't want to name it I'm trying very hard to not name a brand now because I don't want to get cancelled but you know people buy specific phones um that aren't necessarily significantly better than other phones but the premium branding you know it makes them feel like they can trust it more and they can rely better on it so I think it's the same with freelancers it's a win-win you know like I'll I'll gladly be paid more and be listened to more more. (laughs) yeah well exactly um and you know, I do I kind of I don't
1: I don't want anyone to, to take from that but I'm booking people off, which I'm actually absolutely not. Like, you know, I kind of try and keep an eye on, on industry day rates. So I tend to um, you know, charities I will I charge less um and um and I tend to, you know, also do more. Um, you know, like in transfer slightly like undercharging um a day rate. Um so you know, I do work I do work hard and I do, but I kind of it took me a long time to go over that. That seems really high. Right. Um, and then, I mean, a year of all the costs yeah. that you have. Obviously, it's yeah. a Exactly. But, um, yeah. but I think that thing of being listened to, and but it's so frustrating from that point of view when you are in, in an organisation of, you know, saying things and saying things and saying things. Yeah. And then suddenly someone else comes in and says the same thing. And, right. oh, oh, we've
0: heard about this. Yes. <laughs> yes. We've heard about this all the time. Yeah. Um, and it just, yeah. Yeah, so, that's totally true. I, I'm curious to hear when you come into a new project as a consultant, doing what you do, how do you start off and how does your day-to-day look like?
1: Well, I don't have a day-to-day. I think you said this one, you're like, typical day. i like, oh yeah, I don't have a typical day. And that's actually, I, I love that. And that kind of is what works well for me. I think one of the other things about kind of being in a team uh, for a long time is that it starts to get you kind of have a day to day and you're like well what projects is there was I think having a project and this is what needs to be done is I think the ADHD brain it just that like kind of works better for me so um so it depends what clients are working for and what um what we've agreed we'll do basically um uh, sometimes it'll be like a case of reviewing a website and sort of coming up with some recommendations and then um kind of sending the back a report and then off the back of that will come i'll basically recommend what they need to do and that will include and i could do that
0: right
1: or you know or i'm not the right person to do that or i could do that but equally you know i'm not someone else could do that but it needs to be done um and so then it depends you know some people do or don't come back uh with that um and so, so sometimes the next step uh, would be um, to kind of run workshops um, with people. Um, I do try as much as possible to kind of evolve, um, involve pe- everyone that's kind of working in a company and kind of do workshops and make sure people are kind of brought along the way. Um, I mean, I got brought in last last year. I did a really um, cool project where someone, it was a, a, a theatre company that were having, they'd had some issues and realised that their social media policy was update And it was um, like, yeah, sort of outdated and, and not inclusive and, and this kind of thing. And then what they'd said was, we want someone to rewrite our social media policy. And that right. was kind of the brief that had come in. But, you know, as we know, it was kind of, I like think anything ux it's like, well, hang on, what, what do you really need? <laughs> um, so I said, yeah, but I'm not just going to rewrite, I need to talk to you about what it is you need, What and then I need to talk to the team about how it actually works. Exactly. Because I could I could have rewritten a policy in half a day that sat on their <sighs> website and no one read and was useless. Um, but what I did was to do kind of a <sighs> workshop with them. And I think that was an interesting one because I, I felt like maybe there was a bit of like, oh we need to do think we'll all right, we'll get we'll find your time. And afterwards they were like, oh, that was that was so useful. We almost don't need you to now rewrite that policy because <laughs> we have had this we've had those discussions. And you know obviously I then kinda of did but um, that's the useful part of it because you can't just have a policy or a star guide or whatever yeah. that sits somewhere. You need, to, it needs to be a live, active thing. Yeah. And I think that work of bringing people together, creating materials, but then, you know, like training people, but also making sure that it kind of works with how people work. Like, you know, I don't know if you know, if do like hill walking, which I don't anymore, but um, because my... Uh, I can't walk, but um, you get something called desire lines,
0: mm-hmm.
1: which is where people, they've mapped out a path, but then actually people, people walk a different way all the time. And there's like, there's a, ah. they say in the graph, kind of getting down and they call it desire line. Um, and that's something I'm trying to look at with the way that people do it. In terms of if you're doing a policy, so you can go, well, yes, we could say that, do it this way. But if that's not the way that people do things, right. let's find out what the desire lines are and then work out how we can embed the correct processes along like those desire lines yeah. um so yeah so then you know with that one i kind of then you know went away and you know rewrote re- um their policy to kind of bring in bring in all that kind of thing um so that was that was a really interesting one um,
0: i think that's a really good example of something that maybe people don't have on their radar when they think of yeah content design and accessibility consultants so thanks for sharing um I'm curious for people who want to maybe learn more about accessibility or how they can incorporate more in their content design practice. Are there any resources you really love that you would recommend or like any other thoughts on that?
1: Um... Yes, uh, I've actually just about to put a blog up on uh, about five like tools that I uh, use um, to to check accessibility. Okay, great. I will link
0: that tools. in the in the info box then once
1: it's up. Yeah, I, I'm literally about to publish that today, so I will have that certainly by the time the podcast is ready. Um, awesome. So there are lots of automated tools, and I think it's the same with anything. Like you can, there's lots of things that will help you to get started. N- no automated tool can sort accessibility, and just. I'm hoping that the audience you've got kind of know this already, but
0: <laughs>
1: while we're talking about that, just talk about accessibility overlays. Yeah, They are something that people go, oh, we just put these on, it's code, it's easy. And then you don't have to do anything about accessibility. It's gonna solve all your problems. And it's a massive con. Um, and that, and that is, I guess, picks up on what you're saying about accessibility. It does take resource. And I think to say that it doesn't, and it, you, it, you can just do it. It is something that we sort of try and say, I think, to try and convince people that it does take work. The easiest way is to embed it from the beginning. It's so much easier to make an accessible website than it is to take a website and retrofit it to make it accessible. Um, it's a lot, very much more efficient. But um, but yeah, so there are tools that you can look at and definitely some that I would uh, recommend that, that we'll link in the info box. Um, nothing can replace a human being.
0: Yeah, looking at me. right. Okay, well, th- thank you so much. I think that's that's some really good insights, and I, I encourage everyone to check that link in the info box if you're curious to learn more and figure out a little bit about tooling. Um, yeah. So Lizzie, thanks so much for sharing everything. I feel like I want to do like five more episodes, ideally without my daughter here, so she doesn't uh, interrupt you all the time. Um, but for this episode is there anything else like any final last words or famous last words you want to leave with the listeners before we wrap it up?
1: Um, It just, I think I'd like to just thank the, the content design community. Generally. I think when I went, when I sort of took, uh, took redundancy and kind of left my nice stable job i did I really didn't know what was going to happen or what might, might end up going my health was really bad at that point and i was actually considering medical retirement mm. um but the content design community um and online all online I, I only work from home now and it's fantastic it's just it's such a lovely community and the messages that i get you know when, when i've been looking for work kind of people that have been put in touch with and the things that people share that is so useful and you know podcasts like these and all the webinars and stuff that people are doing a lot of which people are doing on their own time I just I think it's such a and I just you know everyone that I've ever chatted to basically um for, for being awesome
0: oh thank you so much I totally agree with that by the way I mean the support I've gotten and received from being part of this community has been absolutely heartwarming and has done wonders for my mental health and my you know feeling like i belong in the world and that my work matters so i, I definitely plus one on that and honestly which other community would accept a podcast where there's a baby <laughs> doing god knows what but in the background it's, you know, babies are part of life and kids are part of life. And you know,
1: you've had a cat meowing in the background, you know, cats are part of life. And yeah. you think we need to accept that people are complete human beings. They're not job facets that turn up and, and do a very specific thing, you know, because that's how we're actually going to create the best experiences for everyone. Exactly.
0: Oh, I love that. So thank you so much for, for sharing today. I will do my best to Ophelia to edit this <laughs> to reduce the noise a little bit um and i really hope to have you on again and i would love to dig in a little bit more in your processes and what how you work in your day to day
1: that would be amazing i'll have to at any time thank you so much
0: thank you lucy bye bye thank you